Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, Season 1, Episode 5, Trapped Under Kazumura Cave. Landed in Hilo on a wet, rainy Hawaiian winter night. When you think of winter in Hawaii, you might think of high surf, wind, and rain, and you would be correct. But one thing that's not obvious about winter in Hawaii is snow. Yes, we have snow in Hawaii. It just happens to be on top of Mauna Kea, one of the active volcanoes on the big island of Hawaii. You can go from surfing to snowboarding in under two hours drive. Now, I don't know why anybody would want to do that. I, myself, prefer a more sedentary sport like channel surfing. But anyways, that's why we say Hawaii no ka'oi, which translates to Hawaii is awesome. That was one of the reasons I spent several weekends a year visiting the big island. The main reason was to visit my father. He was 82 years old and a resident of Hale Kupuna, a senior living facility. He had been on the decline for several years now and needed 24-7 assisted living. It wasn't cheap, but when he stopped recognizing me a few years ago, that's when we knew we needed outside help. His caretakers have been great and it was a relief to know he was well taken care of. That was one of the reasons why I was in Hilo this weekend. That and an invitation from my childhood friend, Toshi Watanabe. We had been estranged for several years, so I was surprised to get a call from him last week. He wanted to reconnect after all these years and had extra tickets to some new lava tube attraction. I was planning to visit my father anyway, so this was a good chance to kill two birds with one stone. It had been a slow week anyways. The only case that came my way was, okay, don't judge. The only case was from a husband who suspected his wife was cheating. It's what we in the industry call a mori. Even though I had paranormal investigator written in big letters on my door, I still took on the occasional cheating spouse case during the slow season. You know, any season not close to Halloween. It was either that or I would have to sell off a guitar from my vast guitar collection accumulated over the years. But that would be like selling off one of my children. I mean, how could I pick one to get rid of when I love them all? I guess I could, you know, do like other parents when they had to choose between their kids. I could pick the ugly one to go first. Anyways, I needed some downtime after that case. So a nice weekend in Hilo with my childhood friend, was just what the doctor ordered. I stayed at my Aunt Joni's house in her spare bedroom. She was my father's younger sister. She never married or had children, so she almost adopted my sister and I when we moved to Hilo after our parents' divorce. It was a small house, but I was grateful to have a place to call home when visiting. I arrived after stopping by Ken's house of pancakes first for a quick bite. I mean, I think it's a law in Hilo that you gotta stop by Cairns after you land at the airport. 
And then my Auntie Joni insisted on feeding me another full meal after I arrived. And as you can tell, by my big fat ass, I was not one to turn down a meal. No wonder I always came back from Hilo another belt size bigger. I planned to meet Toshi the next morning for our lava tube tour. So I had some time to get settled, get some rest, and to catch up with my auntie. I borrowed her car the next day for the drive out to meet Toshi. I was a bit anxious because we had a major falling out three years ago. Well, falling out was an understatement. He accused me of causing his fiancé's death. Yeah, details would be nice, right? One of the things I enjoyed when in Hilo is to surf the east side beaches, especially Honolulu Beach. Now, the surf that day was supposed to be mild, but an unexpected cold front brought waves of 10 to 12 feet. Toshi frequently accompanied me on these sessions, but this time, his fiancée, Margie, joined us too. I told Toshi that she was not an experienced surfer, so it was a bad idea to have her along. But he dismissed my warning. The three of us were out there for an hour when a huge barrel wave came our way. I paddled into it and started to ride, but Margie had the same idea and dropped in on me. Being inexperienced, she cut into my line. I didn't have time to avoid her, and my board hit her full force. We both fell into the surf. My board pulled me down around 20 feet underwater. I was barely able to orient myself to find the surface again. It was a good thing I had my board to keep me afloat because I was exhausted from the effort. When the surf passed, I looked for Margie. I could see Toshi was doing the same, but she never surfaced. We only found her board with the leash broken. We spent 20 minutes looking for her. When she didn't surface, we called for help. The Coast Guard spent two days looking for her, but she was never found. Toshi blamed me, and I did too for a time. But after a lot of soul searching, I knew it was not my fault, but a tragic accident. Toshi had never forgiven me for Margie. In fact, we haven't spoken since then until he called me two days ago. I hope time had given him perspective on this and that it wasn't my fault and I did everything I could to save her. It's funny that for someone who has lived on top of land created by lava all my life, I never explored the lava tubes before. It didn't help that I've had bouts of claustrophobia since Toshi and I got locked in an industrial refrigerator when we were seven years old, playing hide and seek with a group of older neighborhood boys. We were the youngest of the bunch and as such got picked on the most. What would now be described as bullying was just the normal routine for us. Little did we know that 40 years later, the hidden scars of our past would return to haunt us. I arrived a little late to pick up Toshi at his house the next day. He still lived in the house he grew up in, which he inherited when his parents passed away. Due to the insane housing prices in Hawaii, It was worth more than you would think looking at it from the outside, but it was in poor shape for a 60-year-old house, especially since Toshi had not been taking particularly good care of it. There were some good memories here. Sleepovers, playing games all night, our first beer, our first smoke were all facilitated by this house and the lax parenting skills of Toshi's mother and father. If I hadn't returned back to Oahu for high school, I have no doubt 
I would have lost my virginity here. Well, either here or the back of my old man's car. Toshi was waiting for me outside on the curb in front of the house. It was the first time we'd seen each other for three years. Hey, Tosh, how's it, brah? He looked at me through the passenger side window, and at first I thought, did I get the wrong house? Am I talking to the wrong person? This person looked exactly like Toshi, but his eyes and his demeanor was nothing like the Toshi I knew. His pupils were dilated, his skin looked jaundiced, and he was starting to go bald, but not in the usual male pattern. It looked like he was balding in random clumps. The past three years must have been rough for him. He opened the passenger door and sat brusquely in the passenger seat, slamming the door shut. By the smell on his clothing, my expert detective-like skills told me that he started smoking again. I thought he quit after Margie was lost. He was never very good at following through on his plans. You're late. Toshi was always a soft-spoken, gentle person throughout the time we were friends, even through tough times. This was very unlike him, but I guess when you lose the love of your life, it can change a person, and not for the better. Hey, it's good to see you too. You look good. Listen, I'm glad you finally called after all the messages and emails I sent. I've been worried about you ever since, well, you know. I thought it best to get the elephant out of the room before it stomped me to death. Right, we're cool, man. Everything's cool. Just needed some space, you know? I looked sideways at him. He just stared ahead at the road expressionless. I guess it'll take a bit of time for us to get comfortable with each other again. Hey, uh, how's your mom? The house looks a little beat up. Let me know if you'd like some help with painting or repairs. He didn't reply for several minutes, then blurted out. Hurry up, Bobo missed the tour. What's the hurry? The lava tubes will still be there for all eternity. I glanced over at Toshi, and that's when I noticed he still had a blank expression. Damn it, was he on meth again? I don't want to miss the tour, please. Hurry up. Hey, don't worry. You still get bragging rights for being one of the first people to explore these caves. I sped up a little. I'll have to keep a close eye on him. He may need more help than I thought. Now, I'm not as dumb as I look, but I only found out recently after doing some research that lava tubes or caves were created after volcanic activity has stopped and lava flows cooled and hardened over a long period of time, sometimes leaving behind a hollowed out tube or cave. The Kazumura Cave lava tube was originally created centuries ago and was one of the longest and deepest lava tubes in the world, but it was never fully surveyed until the 90s. There have been several conflicting reports but early attempts to survey these caves were met with failure under mysterious circumstances. Surveyors went missing, and the cave layout constantly changed between surveys. It wasn't until computerized mapping was introduced in the 90s that finally produced a stable cave map. The Kazumura Caves were located about an hour away from Hilo, 
but traffic was unpredictable in this area, where one accident could close down the one-lane roads for hours. Luckily, traffic was only moderate today, and we reached the site around 1 p.m. We parked on the side of the road and hiked through the Puna rainforest a short distance to the entrance with our spelunking gear. I brought along a few other tools in my pack, just to be prepared. Even though I got kicked out of Boy Scouts for breaking half of the 12 rules, that was one rule they got right. But the rest, I mean, isn't being kind, courteous, cheerful, friendly, and helpful the same thing? To be honest, I didn't think being clean or thrifty was very important. And obedient? What am I, a dog? Anyways, I brought along some rope, a pickaxe, and some flares. You never know, if we fall down a lava tube, then these may come in handy. We arrived at the entrance after an easy few minutes hike, but we just missed our tour group. The entrance was a hole in the ground with a rope ladder that descended down to the cave floor. A sign was placed above the entrance, which listed the tour schedule that showed we missed the group by minutes. Toshi looked blankly at the sign. Oh man, I'm so sorry, Tosh. Come on, I'm sure you can get a refund or reschedule for another tour. We can catch up to them. I was about to explain that it was a bad idea for us as inexperienced cave explorers to enter the lava tubes on our own. But Toshi just put on his headlamp equipped hard hat and his protective jumpsuit, grabbed the rest of his backpack and rappelled down the rope ladder into the cave opening. I thought about leaving him there for a second, but loyalty and worry for his state of mind made me decide against my better judgment. I put on my gear and followed him down the ladder. We reached the cave entrance at the bottom of the ladder, which was about 20 feet down from the opening. There was still enough light from above to show a series of tunnels branching out from the chamber. Okay, now, what are we looking for? We don't know which tunnel they took. They went that way, down this tunnel entry. So she pointed to what could have been footprints. I aimed my hard hat light at the location Toshi indicated. I couldn't tell whether those were footprints or just random disturbances in the lava rock. I don't know about this, Tosh. He ignored me and pushed past me into the tunnel. Once again, I swallowed my instinct and followed. The tunnel entrance was about 10 to 12 feet in diameter, consisting of sharp, jagged lava rock. The ground was uneven and made of the same lava rock. I picked my steps carefully to avoid holes or unstable formations, which might cause me to fall or worse, to sprain my ankle. It would not be a pleasant experience to be injured or trapped under a ton of rock. Now, you know me. I'm not the superstitious type. I already know that ghosts, spirits, monsters, and demons exist. That was how I made my living. But there was something about being completely engulfed by a mountain of solid rock that creeped me out more than any smelly demon that I could vanquish in my sleep. I felt a fear that was older and more ancient down here. Something primordial, like a caveman might have felt on a cold, stormy night hundreds of thousands of years ago, when the night was full of terrors, known and unknown. Toshi suddenly stopped short, and I almost ran into him from behind. 
What the F, dude? Shh. I think I heard something up ahead. I, I don't hear anything. What do you hear? Our tour group right up ahead. I looked up ahead. My heart had light illuminated only 10 feet in front of me. The rest was engulfed in darkness. Strange. My light should have been powerful enough to project up to at least 20 feet ahead. Hey, hey buddy, I don't see anything. My light should have lit up much further ahead than it's reaching. I guess they could be up beyond the bend where my light didn't hit. Toshi didn't wait to acknowledge me. He plowed on ahead towards the bend. I quickly followed to not be left behind. As we descended deeper into the lava tube, I swear it felt as if the weight of all the rocks above were alive and wanted nothing less than to detach themselves from one another and come tumbling down on top of us to embrace us in its gravelly clutches and keep us buried in the earth forever as our flesh decayed slowly into green brackish goo to provide food for anything living or dead that was buried along with us. I shook my head in hopes of clearing out these thoughts. I think I've had my fill of fun down here. I couldn't wait to get back out into the sunlight. Hey, slow the F down! I almost caught up with Toshi as he reached the bend. I could just see his shadow in the dim light of my hard hat when he made the turn. I reached the bend a few seconds later, but he was gone. I scanned the tunnel ahead as far as the light reached. I could only see about five feet ahead of me now. As strange as it sounds, it wasn't the light that was getting weaker, but the dark was getting stronger. It was almost a physical presence now as it pressed in to push back the light as if it were fighting off an intruder or a disease. I scanned ahead as far as I could see. I looked for any clues in the ground below but saw nothing that could indicate where Toshi could have gone. Did he plummet into an unseen chasm? I didn't see anything immediately ahead of me that he could have fallen into. I pressed ahead slowly, step by step, to make sure I didn't fall into any hidden abyss. I used to do a lot of hiking around Oahu, Manawili Trail, Nu'uanu, Kuli'o'o Ridge, etc. Once, I even took a mountain bike around the Aiea Loop Trail. It was awesome fun, but I came out with mud in parts of my body that I thought wasn't physically possible to put mud into. I learned during these hikes how to count paces to estimate how far I walked. One pace was two steps. My pace length was around five feet, which meant ten paces was around fifty feet. I slowly walked ahead until I counted ten paces, shining my light to my left and right to look for Toshi. The width of the tunnel was around twelve feet. I could see five feet ahead so I couldn't see the tunnel walls unless I walked a few feet in each direction. I searched these few feet both left and right to make sure I didn't miss any hidden chambers that he could have fallen into. There was no way he could have been more than 50 feet ahead of me before I reached a bend, so I focused my efforts within those 10 paces. The ground consisted of lava rocks, some larger than others. I made my way carefully to avoid the larger rocks, if I sprained my ankle down here, we were both dead. I took out my phone to check the time. I estimated we had been down here only about 20 minutes, but the time was now 2.38 p.m. 
Wait a minute. We entered the tunnel at 1 p.m. How did over an hour pass since we entered? I also noticed there was no reception down here. No surprise. I put the phone back in my pocket when I heard a noise to my right. I turned to look and I thought I saw movement in the shadows. But when I panned the light around to get a better look, there was nothing but rocks, rocks, and more rocks. But the light seemed to stop at a shorter distance now. I could only see about six feet in front of me. A slow dread started to seep down my spine and threatened to paralyze me. I needed to get my bearings before I succumbed to the panic. I retraced my steps back ten paces to return back to the entrance of the opening. But when I got there, it was gone. I could swear I was back at the exact spot where we entered the opening to this section of the tunnel, but there was only a solid wall of lava rock all around. A feeling of slow terror wormed its way into my psyche as I searched the whole area for the opening. I followed one side of the wall all the way around to the other side, but the opening to the tunnel where we entered from, the opening that led back to the cave entrance, was gone as if it never existed at all. I sat down slowly to catch my breath and to think. Either the lack of oxygen in the cave made me hallucinate, or something caused the tunnel exit to disappear. I had enough experience with strange occurrences to know that these weren't coincidences. Something was leading us down into the bowels of the cave for some reason. We were not alone down here. Whatever the thing was already got Toshi, and that something was now after me. Okay, time to move. I had no choice but to continue on the tunnel ahead to see where it led. I slowly trudged down the tunnel. It led mostly in a straight path for around 50 feet, then gradually sloped downward. The blackness was like being underwater. It swirled around me until I felt like I was drowning. The path downward became steeper. I stepped carefully to avoid tripping over the lava rocks. As I descended lower into the bowels of the cavern, a foul odor steadily grew stronger and stronger until it made me gag a few times and retaste the beef stew I had for dinner last night. It smelled like the mother of all farts, as if some big moke gorged himself on beans and onions during the company potluck. I started breathing through my mouth and continued on. As I inched forward, I heard a sound behind me. I turned quickly to look. The light shone only four feet behind me now, but I swore I saw something move on the edge of visibility. Someone or something was behind me, was following me. I needed to move quickly to find a way out of here, or at least to get to an opening where I could defend myself. I slipped the climbing pickaxe out of my backpack, which I brought in case we needed to do some climbing. This made a great impromptu weapon. With the pickaxe as my protection, I proceeded on down the tunnel. A scraping sound followed behind me every few feet now. Whenever I stopped, it would stop also. Whatever it was, it kept its distance. The tunnel continued downward until it reached an alcove which was hidden from the tunnel until you were almost right inside it. This would be a good spot to find 
was tired of being hunted. Now I was the hunter. I hid behind the alcove, turned off my light, held my pickaxe aloft, and listened. After a few seconds, I heard the sound of movement. Something dragged itself along the rocks toward my direction. The sound grew louder as it got closer. I could distinctly hear a slithering sound as it moved toward me. And then a wet, ragged breathing sound, as if whatever it was had a lung full of mucus. I held my breath as it reached the alcove. Just before it turned the corner and was within reach of me, I flicked the switch on my headlamp which flooded the passage in front of me with bright white light. Now, as you know, I'm not a virgin when it comes to supernatural encounters, but this was the stuff of Stephen King's worst nightmares. My mind could only barely comprehend the shape and form of this monster and compare it to what I knew. It was a maggot-like creature. Its body was six feet long and a pus-like white color. Its legs were like spiders with hair-like spines running throughout in a mottled black and brownish color. It dripped the black ichor from what I guess was its mouth, from which rows of teeth protruded, so many teeth that I didn't know how it could fit it all in there. It had a forked tongue which stuck out to search the air for me as it reared up on its hind legs and reached a height of 10 feet. The worst thing about this monstrosity was that it had no eyes. It was just that sickly white skin where its eyes should have been. I had hoped to blind it with my light, but it had no effect. The thing smelled me with its tongue and scurried in my direction. I fell backwards in shock, which knocked the light off my head, leaving me in pitch black darkness with that thing. I clambered back up onto my feet, grabbed the headlamp from where it fell, and ran blindly in the opposite direction down the tunnel. I fumbled to get my light working again, but it was dead. However, the skin of the creature gave off a bioluminescent glow, which allowed me to see a few feet ahead of me. I decided I'd rather break my neck tripping over a rock than being food for that maggot spider thing, so I kept moving ahead as fast as I could. I saw the outline of a large opening ahead. I raced towards it with the creature close behind me until I reached what looked like a vast cavern. I could only see a few feet in front of me, but my sense of smell was working only too well. The cavern smelled like what I can only describe as human ass. You know, that sweaty odor you get when it's been a hot, humid day and your BVDs are soaked with perspiration such that it drips down your thighs and then dries up, leaving the pungent aroma of ass clinging to you. I had to choose between encountering something that smelled like ass or to be eaten alive by a maggot spider. I mentally flipped the coin and decided smelling like ass may not be so bad after all. I entered the cavern. air felt different inside the cavern. There wasn't exactly a breeze, but I got the impression that this was a big-ass cavern. With room to move now, I decided this was the place to make my stand. I braced myself against the cavern wall next to the opening, held my pickaxe at the ready, and waited for the maggot spider to enter. I didn't have to wait long. It lumbered through the cavern opening like a dog chasing after his favorite toy. I brought up the pickaxe, ready to cleave its head open. 
when a low, chittering sound echoed in the cavern behind me. I instinctively turned to see where the sound came from and froze where I stood as my gaze locked onto what must have been dozens more maggot spiders slithering into the cavern through a back entrance. I saw them by the glow they gave off, each one uglier than the one that preceded it. The creatures at the front of the pack looked newer or younger. They were smaller and more intact compared to the monsters at the back of the pack that were bigger and had missing legs, open sores, and dark spots of various sizes along their bodies. I wondered how freaking old were these monstrosities, and more importantly, did they have a taste for human flesh? While I was distracted by the commotion from the back of the cavern, the maggot spider that I was just about to exterminate, who I'll call Maggie, rushed through the front entrance and knocked the pickaxe from my outstretched hand with one of its pincers, sending it flying down a small shaft. Now defenseless, I retreated back to a corner of the cavern. Okay, now what? The Maggie skittered toward me with its claws raised. I raised my arms to give the universal sign for, please don't kill me. Surprisingly, the Maggie seemed to understand and backed off a little, but still held its claws up. The other maggot spiders caught up to us and surrounded me in a semicircle. The Maggie slipped back in with the rest of the horde. I was in deep kimchi now. I was either going to be ripped apart by razor-sharp claws or eaten alive by razor-sharp mandibles. I'm not ashamed to admit, I almost pooped in my pants a little, but... Those Kegel exercises paid off and my sphincter held strong. Then, to my surprise, the maggot spiders parted to open up a path in the middle of the horde. The glow from their bioluminescence revealed a shadowy form who walked upright from the back of the cavern towards me. As the form approached closer, the light slowly revealed a face I recognized. It was the face of Toshi. The differences I noticed earlier when I picked him up were more prominent now. His pupils were dark and sunken. His skin was pale, as if he had been out of the sunlight for a long time. He smiled at me with a lost, distant look. His hair had fallen out almost completely, leaving numerous bald spots on his head. Hey, Brock, why you run off like that? Harry, what took you so long? Don't you love exploring new places and meeting new friends? He spread his arms out to emphasize the friends he was referring to. Okay, I might be a bit slow sometimes. My mother claims I was dropped on my head by accident as a child. But now I'm certain something was definitely not right with Toshi. Hey, buddy, I don't want to alarm you, but you're not looking so hot. That's the Harry I remember, always with the jokes. Did you laugh when you left Margie to die? I thought we'd been through this. I thought you understood what happened, and you were over it. Over it? You thought I was over you killing my fiancé, the love of my life, the only good thing that's ever happened to me? Well, it's a good thing she survived. Suddenly... There was a scraping sound behind Toshi. Then, something emerged slowly from the shadows of the deeper cavern. At first, I thought it was another maggot spider, 
But as the abomination slithered out from the darkness, I could see that it towered over all the others. It must have been 10 feet tall and 20 feet wide with its massive hairy legs reaching almost from one end of the cavern to the other. Its head emerged from the murky blackness to reveal something that was not quite right. Something unnatural, something abhorrent that went against the very laws of nature, God, and man. Its face was half spider and half human, and I shuddered in horror when I recognized the human face to be the face of someone who I thought was dead. It was the face of Toshi's girlfriend, Margie. I tried to back away, but the maggot spider minions surrounded me to close off any means of escape. The Margie spider creature slithered closer to me until we were nose to pincer. She chittered to me in an ear-piercing insect voice which threatened to drive me mad until I had to clap my hands over my ears. But surprisingly, I still heard her voice in my head and understood what she said. Who? What are you? What have you done with Margie? I have many names. I have been known as the Nightbreaker, the Dark Spreader, the Queen Beneath the Mountains. You may call me what the ancestors of this land once called me, Arachne, the Spider Goddess. So, does that mean you're a spider who's a goddess, or a goddess who's a spider? My plan was to ask her some really stupid questions in an attempt to confuse, obfuscate, and buy time to plot an escape. I am both, and I am neither. Now, that's what I would expect an ancient goddess monster to say, so she must be legit. Once, long ago, when the Earth was young, there were many of us. We were gods who ruled the young earth and held sway over our devotees. Then the great apocalypse occurred, which destroyed most of us and drove the rest underground. Only a few of the strongest of us survived, but the world was changed and we fought each other for scraps. But scarcity only exists if there are a lot of mouths to feed. Eliminate those mouths, and one becomes rich by default. Thus, over the centuries, my kind have battled each other for power and domination for our very survival. I lost the last battle, but with your friend's help, I intend to win the war. What did you do to Margie, and what do you want from us? She serves merely as a vessel for me. You see, I have lived many lives, and I have awoken from a long period of, shall we say, restoration. My mind has woken before my body is ready, so I search for vessels to serve me. Until that time, my body is once again whole. This vessel you call Margie was dying, and in order to survive, she made a bargain with me. To save her life and to get revenge on the man who did this to her, namely you, in return for use of her body. Until my body was ready, 
also promised your friend Hoshi here that I would free his betrothed if he would help me bring more humans down here for me and my children to feed on. Um, hey, Margie, if you still in there, I'm sorry for what happened to you. It was a tragic accident, which I did everything in my power to avoid. We spent hours looking for you. We didn't abandon you. But you know you bear some responsibility for your own situation, right? No! It was your fault! You were always jealous of my relationship with Toshi. Now you'll suffer as I have. Arachne shot a dark liquid substance at me from its mouth. I instinctively ducked so that most of it missed me, except for some droplets that landed on the sleeve of my coverall, which started to smoke and burn. I quickly ripped it off me and threw it to the ground before the venom touched my skin. The coverall burnt up in a few seconds, leaving only charred ashes. I had to act fast or that would be me next. The smell I encountered earlier, that farts on steroid smell, was strongest down here. I remembered from my insomnia-induced Discovery Channel binge-watch sessions that this smell was the product of volcanic gases, which consisted of sulfur, the stinky gas, and methane, the non-stinky but extremely flammable gas. Since the stench of sulfur was stronger than the men's room at a chili eating contest, I suspected that there must also be a large deposit of methane gas down here too. Now, I can't be the only one to have experimented with lighting farts, whether my own or someone else's, when drunk in college, right? I knew those experiments in flatulence ignition would pay off one day. Methane being very flammable, and being very present down here provided the weapon I needed to extract myself from this predicament. Uh, Margie, Tosh, listen to me. You don't have to do this. Listen to me, Margie, if you're still in there. This isn't you. Let me help you. Your friend is no longer capable of response. She is fully under my control now. You should be more concerned with yourself. The creature named Arachne then reared up on all six of her hind legs. I think it was six. I lost count around four. She was about to shoot another blast of venom at me. I quickly pulled out the emergency flare from my pack and held it up. Hey, buddy, this is your last chance. Margie Tosh, if you're there, talk to me. In response, Arachne shot out another stream of venom. I dove behind the closest maggot spider minion and barely evaded the venom. But the maggot spider wasn't so lucky. The venom hit it dead on. I can only describe the sounds it made as blood curdling. It screamed and writhed in agony as it burned up and disintegrated while I looked on in horror. I looked back at Arachne. She was poised for another shot. I lit the flare. It blazed up in a flash of light and smoke. I threw it at her. It hit her exoskeleton with no effect and fell on the ground beneath her and then sputtered as if it were about to go out. If spider villains could twirl their mustache and smirk evilly at me, well, 
I imagine that's what Arachne was doing as she prepared to spit a fresh breath of venom to finish me off. But before she could breathe out liquid death at me, the flare exploded in a blaze of fire and thunder as a pocket of methane must have passed over it. The blast threw me back into the rock wall and knocked the breath out of me. I laid on the ground panting for several seconds while it rained fire and death and spider parts everywhere. I finally caught my breath and looked up to see pockets of flame throughout the underground cavern. I caught a glimpse of Arachne through the haze. Half her legs were missing and a hole was ripped open in her head to reveal burnt spider brain matter which oozed out like slime. Toshi was luckier. Apparently Arachne's body shielded him from the explosion which only knocked him to the ground. Arachne slowly and painfully pulled herself up, then dragged Toshi along with her using one of her still-working legs. She glared at me with a look of malevolent hatred before they slithered down the shaft and disappeared into the depths of the cavern. Something told me it was time to get the heck out of Dodge before the whole cave came down on me. I turned around and tried to find an exit in the haze when the ground started to shake. Apparently, underground explosions could cause earthquakes, too. Who knew? The maggot spider minions who weren't blown to bits just stood still and didn't move. They were incapable of independent thought without their queen. They just waited in the cavern to die. Fortunately, despite what my ex-wife said, I was quite capable of independent thought. After a few frantic minutes of searching through the smoke, I found the entrance from which I entered the cavern covered in rubble. Swallowed my panic as I searched for something to dig with and found the maggot spider leg which was blown off in the explosion. It was surprisingly strong. I was able to use it as a shovel to dig out the debris with. The earth shook once more, which started to bring the cavern crashing down. I managed to dig a gap just big enough for me to fit through and squeeze myself out of the cavern before it collapsed completely, burying everything within. The tunnel entrance, which was missing earlier, was now back where it was supposed to be. Thank the stars. I ran as quickly as I could back up the tunnel as it toppled behind me. I barely made it back to the cave entrance before the whole tunnel came crashing down. Fortunately, the rope ladder was still there. I raced up the ladder and escaped the cave into the humid Hawaiian night. I looked at the time. It was almost midnight. We entered the cavern at 10 a.m. this morning. How the heck did a whole day pass already? Apparently, time passed differently down here. I found my way back to the car and drove home alone. I thought about calling for help to search for Toshi the next day, but no one would believe me. And besides, I had a feeling this was not the last time I would encounter Arachne and Toshi. I vowed to find out everything I could about the spider goddess and how, if at all, I could free Toshi from her. Now that I knew what I was up against, I'll be better prepared next time. And I'll also add some bug spray to my weapon kit, just to be sure. Until then, this has been Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator. Ahoy ho and malama pono. Listening to Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong 
Paranormal Investigator, a fictional podcast. 